0: Hello and welcome to a history of Europe Cube Battles. This is the Nine Years' War of 1688 to 1697. Part 1 of 2. The Background. Eleven miles southwest of Paris stands the Palace of Versailles, a magnificent building in beautiful surroundings. Vast in its scale and conception, Versailles is seen as the physical representation of the reign of the most powerful king of the time, Louis XIV, the Sun King. Louis transformed what was in his youth a simple hunting lodge. First he began to enlarge the gardens and ponds, which were all carefully laid out. Next, from 1668, he planned a more radical transformation. The original chateau was preserved, and around it he ordered the construction of a new palace, large enough to serve as a permanent home for the royal family. In 1682, when the palace had become large enough, the king moved the entire royal court and the French government to Versailles. The king diverted 5-10% to of state income to pay for the constructions, and therefore a considerable tax burden on his people. Much of the expense went on luxuries such as silver furniture and deliberately ostentatious features designed to magnify the King's glory, but the palace also had a practical use as the new seat of government. The palace was just one part of a massive project of glorifying France, personified by Louis as a warrior king, father of his people, and Rex Christianissimus, or Most Christian King. For this purpose, he employed a wide array of artists, architects, musicians and writers. So, for instance, 20 enormous equestrian statues of the king were erected in major cities. To help promote the arts and sciences, Louis also founded a number of academies of dance, inscriptions, architecture and music. The Academy of Science, founded in 1666, became important in the Scientific Revolution, which was then advancing the boundaries of human knowledge in areas such as medicine, astronomy and physics. Louis XIV has become the historical embodiment of the style of absolutist government where the monarch personally directs all matters of state, as he or she sees fit, with authority given as a divine right rather than bound by laws or constitution. This is in contrast to authority being assumed by elected parliamentary bodies, as was the case, at least to a degree, in the Dutch Republic, England and Poland. Louis took his role as king very seriously and worked diligently. His main motivation as an absolutist monarch was the achievement of glory, which translates as renown, reputation or prestige. The key to gaining glory was success in the international arena, and this meant victory in war. Louis became king in 1643 at the age of just four, but only assumed personal control in 1661. Europe at the time was unstable and exhausted, not yet fully recovered from the ravages of the Thirty Years' War, and only two years after the Peace of the Pyrenees, which marked the end of a long war between France and Spain. The lands of Germany in particular had suffered from systematic devastation, but all countries had been weakened by the war. France, however, was less exhausted than her neighbours, and in an excellent position to exploit their weakness. France was the most populous country in Western Europe, and had a system of administration which was capable of gathering the taxes required for major war efforts. The first conflict of Louis' personal rule was the War of Devolution of 1667 to 1678. The balance of power of Europe was altered in 1665 by the death of Philip IV of Spain, who was succeeded by his infant son Carlos II. Louis saw an opportunity to strengthen his north-eastern frontier at the expense of Spain, who had authority over the southern half of the Netherlands, the Spanish Netherlands. To this end he advanced his wife's rather far-fetched claims to Spanish territory and quickly demonstrated France's military superiority. The French commander, Turenne, successfully captured a string of towns in the Spanish Low Countries in 1667. The Dutch Republic was particularly concerned about the southern borders becoming vulnerable to French aggression they concluded a triple alliance with England and Sweden designed to limit French gains. In 1668, a treaty was agreed where Louis kept a number of conquered towns, including Lille, Tournai, Oudinard, Couturique and Charlois, which were then fortified by the French military engineer, Sébastien de Vauban. The War of Devolution was relatively uncostly in human lives and short, the type of lightning war which Louis preferred to fight. In Louis XIV's Second War, the Dutch War of 1672-79, the French king targeted his aggression at the Dutch, who he was angry at for switching away from their traditional pro-French stance and leading the formation of an anti-French alliance. Louis first isolated the Republic from its former allies, England and Sweden, The war then began in May 1672 when France invaded the Netherlands and nearly overran it, an event still referred to in England as the Disaster Year. By late July the Dutch position had stabilised, with support from Emperor Leopold, Brandenburg Prussia and Spain. This was formalised in the August 1673 Treaty of the Hague, joined by Denmark in January 1674. The Franco-Dutch War dragged on for longer than Louis intended, since, as always, it is easier to start a conflict than to end one, and was concluded in the summer of 1678 by the Treaty of Nijmegen. The biggest loser of the treaty was Spain, who had to cede French Comte, historically part of Burgundy. Louis' gains in the Spanish Netherlands were more modest, largely because of the resistance of the Dutch in the peace negotiations. There, France mainly exchanged fortresses with Spain to produce a more defensible frontier. The French justified their territorial gains as merely a defensive strategy, but none of their neighbours were persuaded, for Louis's appetite for expansion somehow never seemed to be satisfied. Louis reluctantly realised he was unlikely to be able to conquer the Spanish Netherlands without the acquiescence of the Dutch, so he shifted his attention away from the north towards his eastern borders. In particular, he was only willing to return Lorraine on terms which would have robbed the Duke of his capital and fortresses. The new Duke, Charles V, preferred to stay in exile, and Lorraine therefore remained in French hands. Louis was also able to retain control over the town of Freiburg on the upper Rhine plain a western border of the Black Forest. Although this gave Louis access to the Danube Valley, he was not satisfied with the settlement of the Rhineland and was determined to redraw its borders in the near future. The French crown had demonstrated its military superiority even in the face of an alliance of powers against it. Its ascendancy in European affairs was made more apparent in 1679 when Louis imposed a diplomatic settlement on the north of Europe. At the treaties of Saint-Germain and Fontainebleau, Brandenburg, prussia and Denmark were forced to return the territories they had seized from France's ally Sweden in a recent war. In the immediate years after the Treaty of Nijmegen, Forban set about constructing a formidable fortress system around France. This consisted of two lines of fortresses, designed to keep France's enemies out while allowing her access to their lands. Louis' political strategy was also adjusted. The insistence on powers accepting French supremacy still remained, becoming in many ways more intense as Louis got more settled in Versailles and established the cult of the Sun King. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Geopolitics favoured France since Emperor Leopold was busy with a revolt in Hungary and clear signs of an impending offensive from the Ottomans. William of Orange was locked in a domestic struggle and King Charles II of England was generally pro-French. According to David Mayland, Louis became less careful about trying to cultivate a European opinion by propaganda and diplomacy. Instead, he purchased support contemptuously with bribes or threats of force, while at the same time trying to avoid open war. As a result, while individual decisions could be justified in terms of national security, their cumulative effect on European opinion was to convey an impression of rampant aggression. In short, the "'Reunion policy' was a calculated gamble "'that the German princes would sooner accept "'the loss of some territory "'than risk another war with France. "'Louis embarked on a round of legal chicanery, "'the policy of so-called reunions, "'which meant seizing any territories "'which could be claimed as feudal dependencies "'of the new acquisitions of 1678. "'John Lynn writes in his book "'On the Wars of Louis XIV,' how treaty language of the day was intentionally imprecise. For example, it commonly granted one party, particular town or district, and, quote, its dependencies, unquote, leaving the parties involved to work out in detail what dependencies were actually involved. The treaties around the regions of Alsace were particularly open to interpretation, a fact taken advantage of by Louis when he used intimidation to assert control there. By August 1680, Louis secured his hold on all of Alsace, with the exception of the city of Strasbourg. This was a free city of the Empire, to which not even Louis could come up with legal justification for claiming, and where existed a strong Protestant community. But Strasbourg was deemed vital to France because it controlled a bridge across the Rhine, which the Emperor's army had used to invade Alsace during the Dutch War. Strasbourg surrendered without a fight when French massed troops outside the city and threatened all would be burnt and put to the sword if they did not submit. Having fallen into French hands, Louis demanded that the Protestant Church be returned to Catholic worship, causing local insult. Meanwhile, Louis also made further gains in the province of Metz in the Spanish Netherlands using threats of force. On the same day as Strasbourg fell to the French, the 30th of September 1681, Louis's troops entered the fortified town of Casale, which stood on the banks of the river Po, about 40 miles east of Turin, in Italy. Rather than the policy of reunions, Louis acquired this key location with a substantial payment to its owner, the Duke of Mantua. This action, together with the possession of the fortress of Pinerolo in Piedmont, allowed France to pin down the Duchy of Savoy, whose duke effectively became a French vassal, and to threaten the Spanish Duchy of Milan. The next target for Louis was Luxembourg, the intention being to add the city to what they had already seized in the Moselle Valley, an important access route to and from northeastern France. The Holy Women Emperor, Leopold I and the Austrian court wanted to act, but effective resistance to France required the support of the major German princes, and this was not forthcoming. Six of the eight electors were allied in some way to France, who used a mixture of subsidies and intimidation to keep them on side. The position of the French king was now so strong that he was beginning to believe he might have enough support to achieve the election of a French candidate, possibly even himself as emperor, if Leopold died. One of Louis' main aims was to undermine the emperor. He therefore actively supported Hungarian rebels who were resisting Viennese authority, encouraged the Turks to attack Austria, and tried to persuade Christian leaders across Europe not to help Leopold if he were attacked. Resistance against French expansionism was led by William of Orange, Louis's most resolute enemy, but he was unable to unite the German princes. The sentiment began to shift in 1683 when Vienna survived the siege by the Ottomans. Several German princes Answered the call from Pope Innocent III to defend Christendom against the infidels. The French king was notably absent and only agreed a brief suspension of hostilities. The crushing of the Turkish besieging army by the Christian allies suddenly extinguished the imminent threat which Vienna had faced until then, and a series of victories by Leopold's armies over the Turks in the next several years, began to shift the balance of power in Western Europe in the Emperor's favour as he began to be able to dedicate more resources to protect his Western frontier. Encouraged by the relief of Vienna, the Spanish declared war on France in autumn 1683, hoping the Emperor and the Dutch would help them. Louis replied with a short, devastating campaign which lasted till spring 1684. Towns in the Spanish Netherlands were bombarded and Catalonia was invaded, and Luxembourg fell to the French in June 1684. In spite of requests from Spain and the Dutch Republic, Leopold decided to focus on war against the Turks, and to compromise in the West for the time being. The French also responded by attacking Spain's ally in Italy, Genoa, bombarding them with firebombs from their ships in May 1684, destroying two-thirds of the city. A truce was agreed at Regensburg in August 1684, which led to peace between France and Spain, and a temporary settlement in the Empire. France was allowed to retain its newly acquired reunions, as well as Strasbourg and Luxembourg. This year perhaps marked France's high points as the dominant power of Western Europe. This was also a successful period of French expansion overseas. This was spearheaded by missionary activity such as in Cochin, China and Siam. In West Africa, French explorers opened up the hinterland between Senegal and Niger, and in America, French explorers founded a new colony which they named Louisiana after their king. The next years, however, saw a more concerted effort of France's neighbours to resist her expansionism. A factor which contributed to this was Louis's revocation of the Edict of Nantes in 1685, which hitherto had protected, to some extent, the rights of Protestants in this kingdom. John Lynn writes that the Protestant community in France had demonstrated its loyalty to the French Bourbon monarchy since the end of its last rebellion in 1629. No longer did Huguenots pose a threat to political unity, yet the new Edict of Fontainebleau banned any Protestant religious gatherings and ordered all Protestant churches to be raised. And Huguenots were not allowed to emigrate from France. Men caught fleeing would be condemned to serve on galleys, and women sent to prison. And in order to prevent the flight of Huguenots in the south of France, Louis brutally attacked the vaudois, a small Protestant community just across the French border in Piedmont. The Calvinist order of Elector of Brandenburg, Frederick William, was incensed, and in response he issued an edict of his own, which invited Huguenot refugees to settle in Brandenburg. Many Huguenots did manage to leave France and contributed to the economies of their new homes in England, the Dutch Republic and Brandenburg. Louis failed to persuade the veteran commander, the Duke of Schomburg, to abjure his Protestant faith, but made an exception and allowed him to leave France, where he later fought against the French in Ireland. Also in 1685, William of Orange persuaded Frederick William of Brandenburg to a treaty with the Dutch Republic. Dutch subsidies reduced Brandenburg's reliance on French payments, and the next year the Great Elector formed an alliance with the Emperor as well. Leopold's military successes against the Turks put him in a much stronger position to coax the German princes into an alliance, for he was able to betray himself as the champion of Christendom, unlike Louis, who would refused to help. Almost overnight, the French king's support in Germany disintegrated, and he was branded the Christian Turk. Saxony and Bavaria moved into Leopold's camp and the Bavarian Elector Max married the Emperor's daughter in 1685 and became one of the Imperial commanders in the East. Then in 1686 the Emperor brought together his allies into the League of Augsburg to which Spain and Sweden were also affiliated. Although the League was purely defensive in nature, the German princes of Swabia and the Rhineland, those closest to the French border, declined to join for fear of provoking France, hoping neutrality would tide them over until French ambitions waned. Louis' attacks on his various neighbours and his attempt to alienate Emperor Leopold would backfire and cause lasting damage to France's international position. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com. Please go to patreon.com stroke Europe where for $3 a month you can gain some extra material. It's always great to hear from you, either on the Facebook page, Twitter at historyeuropekb, KB for Key Battles, or you can write to me directly, carl, C-A-R-L at historyeurope.net. Today's music has been by the French composer François Couperin and I will play out with one of his pieces called La Favourite. I hope you can join me next time when we get properly stuck in to the Nine Years' War. Until then, all the best and goodbye. Thank you.